Hey guys, welcome back to the Detour Live, and we've got our panel members locked and loaded, ready to go. Uh, I'm your host, Dan Jones, joined as always, four-time national road champion from Australia, John Trevorrow, and former try-hard journalist as well for the famous Geelong Advertiser, the voice of cycling, Phil Liggett, the head DS for Team Bike Exchange, Matthew White. Uh, fellas, the, the time trial's done and dusted. I'll start with you, Whitey. Um, were there any major surprises on the day for you? Uh, I think Vanderpool's ride was very impressive. I didn't expect him to be. We just haven't seen him ride so many time trials uh, over the years. Is and uh, I think a few things suited him yesterday. It was obviously it was it was technical at times. Wearing the yellow jersey certainly helped, but uh, it just shows what an incredible athlete he is. Um, and uh, it's frightening to see what he how he will develop over the next couple of years and. His, uh, his number one priority is not even the Tour de France. It's uh, winning the gold medal in the Olympic mountain bike race in a month's time. So incredible athlete, very good gene pool. Uh, and that was one of the rides of the day. <laughs> I, I, I don't think I, – I didn't expect Pochicard to win that TT. Um, he also ceases to surprise me. But, uh, yeah, it was they're, – they're the two standouts for me yesterday. Well, he had a, he had dramas, didn't he? If he um, Vanderpool with his bike, I heard they were up till midnight, and he had to get wheels from Cameron Worth in the end. I don't think it was dramas, but I just think they realised. Well, look, he's in yellow. Let's uh, uh, do the best we can do. So they worked on his bike up until midnight uh, to get it right for him, which I just think is a wonderful story. Uh, know any more about that, Matty? Yeah, supposedly the uh, well. They wanted the best wheels that they could source, and uh, they got the he bought used a set of wheels that uh, the Ineos use. Um, but obviously, to get wheels like that on short notice were very hard. And the story goes that Cameron Worth had a personal set um, that were available, and someone drove ten hours with the wheels from Andorra <laughs> to to the TT, and that's why the mechanics were up late because the wheels didn't arrive. Um, yeah, so that was that was the story, and uh, yeah, yeah, a big, big ride from him. But uh, yeah, it, it was worth it because he uh, he held on to that yellow jersey just. Hey, Phil, you've seen a lot of superstars in cycling in your time. Uh, we saw a tweet from Thomas de Gent, and it sort of like feels, you know, some of the riders are getting a bit shirty that there's this <laughs> dominance here. He tweeted, year 2032, Evan Pohl and Pogacar each won six tours now. Vanderpoel will be competing in 17 disciplines at the Olympics, aiming at 17 medals. Van Aert won Paris-Roubaix for the seventh time. Valverde announced that he would continue for another year as he doesn't feel his age yet. That, uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right, detect a little bit of venom there, Phil. Yeah, it probably is, but, uh, I mean, Evan Pohl and, and uh, Mathieu are are definitely the stars of the future and the developing a rivalry, of course, uh, which is probably akin with uh, Van der Poel's grandfather, Raymond Poulidor, and Jacques Ampetil, which kept the Tour de France alive right through the 60s into the 70s. Not, not the 60s, in the, in the case of Ampetil's <laughs> I'll tell you what. Um, the other part of the story there, too, was that uh, Le Coq Sportif made in that skin suit through the night. Before. They were all very busy just to get him to keep his yellow jersey, but when they measured him up, they had a special uh, two seamstresses went to the hotel two nights before the race, measured him up, and they'd never produced a skin suit as big as this one ever. And so they went away, designed it, pattern made it, took it back, tried it on, made the adjustments, and of course, it fits absolutely perfectly, as you can see. 
this guy is very, very special. He's probably next to uh, Evan Pool, probably the uh, most talented guy we've seen in many years. And he can do anything. He's shown us already as a world cyclocross champion. He can do anything to do with road cycling and off-road cycling. So he's a real cat. And he, and he probably gets the lowest fee of anybody amongst the leaderboard because he's on a small team. And he probably takes most of the budget just to keep him in business. So they'll have to work hard to keep him in the, as the years unfold, I think. But Whitey, those skin suits are notoriously tight. I remember one year, Yatey, when he was in the white, he, I think he popped about four zippers trying to get get the bloody zipper up. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a fine line between a, a snug skin suit and one that pops. Uh, <laughs> but uh, they do they do make a big effort to um to have uh, a snug fitting uh, skin suit. Well, at the end of the day, so they should because then they, the teams invest a lot of money in our own clothing sponsors to have those suits fit very well to our riders so you know that's another spot that's another clothing sponsor who are, who are providing those uh, those leaders jerseys for for the day or whoever's wearing them on the day so you would want them to be at a high quality level as good a quality as your own skin suits and it's interesting we're talking about uh vanderpool and van art you know and their future but they're not young it's just that they've been more focused on another sport on cyclocross over the years and now suddenly we're seeing uh, uh, something special out of them as well. Yeah, absolutely right. By the way, Dan, I have the same problem with those zippers uh, breaking out. On the- <laughs> but it's, I don't think it's caused by fitness. I think it's caused by a beer belly. Well, speaking of zippers, didn't you bring along your special Rhino jersey today? Just getting off I topic. Did. Thanks for reminding me. I woke up at 6 o'clock this morning thinking, oh, my goodness, I've got to find this Rhino jersey. I found it. This is the jersey people have been asking about for our uh, Rhino preservation scheme. It's, um, those are white rhino portraits, believe it or not. They're slightly different to the black rhino. And uh, it's a lovely jersey, actually. But on the back, there's a picture of two white rhinos there. And Have a look at that. Uh, Trish took that. Uh, I was sitting with her, but I was ready to run in case they chose her first. We were two <laughs> feet away from them with an armed ranger. And the ranger assured us they would not come towards us. They would not attack us. And he was absolutely right. When they go bum to bum, that's their defense mechanism. They're just working out what's going on. So they protect each other. And they didn't make any attempt to walk towards us. They just watched us. So Trish got the photo. Now, those jerseys, by the way, are available if you go to my website, where I'm patron of, which is helpingrhinos, one word, dot org, O-R-G. And you'll be able to follow the links to buy one. They're sold by Condor Cycles on our behalf in London. And and per- perfect time to mention Kareka. Yeah, oh, yes. my goodness. Here we go. You're getting the hang of that word. You'll have that one thing soon. <laughs> yeah, Whitey. You've got to get the boys behind the foundation, mate. It's all about saving the rhinos over in uh, South Africa. And uh, the website, again, is kariega.co.za forward slash Peloton. I did a quick update, Phil, and the donations are up to 12,657 US. We want to get to yep. 35 grand, so all the donations count. Keep those coming in and, and get onto the website and get behind a great cause. Um, Whitey, you've got to head off soon because it's a long transfer. So uh, how how was the recap for your boys? Um, I see Durbo finished 20th, but uh, Esteban's obviously lost three minutes on GC and, and Lucas two minutes 48. Um, how was the wash-up for Team Bike Exchange? Yeah, Durbo had a good ride. That was a pretty solid TT for him. Uh, and then the other two, 
Uh, Esteban was around the mark we would have expected for a 30k TT that uh, 30k TT and Lucas had a little bit of mechanical issues but didn't have his best ride yesterday um, and we are hoping after we got another flat day today and then uh, we settle into uh, terrain that will should suit his uh, characteristics very soon. So is it about we were talking about the other day with Esteban just trying to sit up now and then try and go for stages uh, in the latter half of the tour. Yeah, look, he's in a position at the moment where he's not going to be able to move. Um, mm. He's not going to be able to move in this foot in the Alps here. So he's going to, have to if he does attack, it's going to, have to be late in, late in the stage. So you know, that obviously, it's someone at three minutes. They don't really see them as a, three to four minutes. They don't see them as a threat for GC. But let's we'll we'll play it by year. We've got a big day tomorrow, two fifty, and then which finishes off with some climbs, and then we're into the first range in the Alps there. And uh, let's see how he's climbing uh, in this first set. And uh, because, you know, we didn't come here to ride for 20th on general classification and uh, stage win is definitely the priority. So one day at a time. But it's going to be interesting because a lot of the the GC favourites have lost some pretty considerable amount of time, which means there should be some pretty aggressive racing uh, once we hit the mountains. If he... Yeah. The, it's interesting. Today's uh, stage is probably uh, the... the, the Best finale for, for the sprinters in that there is no turns at all in the, in, in the last kilometres. He's just a full bore roar to the line. So it'll be it'd be good to watch that one. Yeah, yeah, there's very, very little. Go on, Matty. Oh, we lost him. The Blackberry. Oh, oh no. When I said go on, Matty, I didn't mean literally leave us, Matty. He took you at your, at your word, mate. He took you at your word. Yeah, I said, oh, well, it feels going to cut me off. I'm out. Um, yeah. But talking about the man who's made himself the outstanding favourite, of course, it is uh, Pogaccio now. And uh, we had a whole list of likely winners uh, only six days ago. I can't believe it. And all the problems that we've had, they kind of blown everything away. Ineos... Uh, who came in with, if you like, possibly four potential winners. I don't think they've got a winner at all on the team now. And it was a torrid first week. Carapaz can't time trial very well, and he showed us that. He might climb well, but he's controllable. And Geraint Thomas nursing his dislocated right shoulder. He was in considerable pain yesterday. Um, he hasn't completely lost at all because he's still very close to Roglic because Roglic had his problems. But the one who slipped the coop, slipped the coop is uh, is Pogaccia. He's up there looking back at everybody now, except the man is eight seconds in front of him. And uh, you think he's worried about that? I don't think so. I just got a message from Whitey on WhatsApp. Blackberry overheated. He <laughs> 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 was inside. <laughs> oh, well. um, oh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> um, oh, geez, I feel bad for Richie Port losing time on that day because he's finished ninth yes. on the TT. Uh, he's obviously in sensational form. Um, and it's not, you know, it's definitely not over, but, uh, geez, you know, if you didn't lose that bulk of time, we, we'd be talking different sort of stories at the moment. If he, Well, it's not over, mate. I mean, he, you know, he, no. he's still in here with a chance uh, in, in this Tour de France. So um, I'm looking forward to, uh, to watching how he goes over the next couple of days. Look, we're a couple of days away from the first. Here we are. We haven't got the first mountain stage yet. It's two days oh. away. It's two days away. So uh, uh, it it, it's, yeah. it's fascinating. Fascinating stuff. Fascinating well, stuff. Out, you know, Richie might become the leader of this team yet. He, he could well do it. And he could well be on the podium in Paris because I think he's got the form again. Look what happened in the Dauphiné. He, on the last day of the race, 
he steals the show from the rest of Ineos because he had to. Uh, this guy, you know, he sits there, he doesn't talk a lot, put in the performance yesterday in the time trial. At one stage, he was lying second at the checkpoints. He finished, up, I can't remember, seventh, eighth, or ninth on the day. But uh, he's there. And they may start to have to look to it. He is their man to save their face. Now, um, my old man, Emu, said, now you've got to ask the boys about this Aussie, Harry Sweeney, because I don't really know anything about him. And, and he had a solid well, ride, I think, an early leader. Yeah. So what can you tell us about Harry, Ify? He... Well, he's a Queenslander. We won't hold that against him. Uh, look, he put in a, he put in a, great, uh, a great ride yesterday. Uh, look, it's interesting, isn't it? Uh, he, uh, he, he put in a solid ride, but um, he just beat the rain. It, it was a funny day, wasn't it? They had uh, wet sections in the middle. Um, but, um, yeah, he's a good, he's a good kid. He's getting, getting an opportunity now. Normally he'd be you know, jumping in and leading out uh, 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 Caleb. But, of course, uh, that's not happening, so he's getting uh, opportunities of his own. Uh, we've got a couple of uh, viewer comments coming in. And remember, uh, if you get the best viewer question of the week, uh, you will win a $500 Let's Go motorhome voucher. Uh, and we've had from Cheryl, she says, you should have Lindy from Kareka on one night. I found her really interesting to listen to, and I'm sure it would bump up the donations. Ooh. I reckon we could organise that, Phil. I reckon we could. Lindy is such a lovely lady as well. And as I said, she's getting to understand the Tour de France now because mm. she's gone from the wildlife uh, to watching these podcasts. So I'm sure she would say yes. I'm sure she would. Uh, great on. device says, jog on, Matty. <laughs> Fair clip. <laughs> and um, Jason Cruz says, uh, all the way from the Maldives, Ineos did mess up their strategy somehow putting Richie on the front. To only drop uh, GR and Richie lost more time, did not see why they wanted to be so bullish in the early stages. I mean, that's how they race, isn't it, Ify? Yeah, look, it's interesting, isn't it? Uh, interesting. They've uh, started this uh, tour talking about four leaders and now they're, they're, they're struggling to find one. So, um, but we'll see. We'll see. It, it, it's a fascinating tour. We're only six days in, uh, uh, and uh, we're talking about uh, uh, some amazing, um, yeah, you know, pieces. But you know what, Richie can still get on the podium, as uh, Phil was just saying. So, yeah. Well, listen, yeah, well, that's what. Yeah. Can I just redeem my reputation with Harry Sweeney? I don't want everybody thinking I don't know absolutely nothing about him. I do know a little bit. I know he's young. He's only twenty-two. But I do know he signed with Lotto Sudal uh, right through 2022. So they spotted something in him. And and he did win uh, the Piccolo Tour of Lombardy, I think, a couple of years ago. Uh, so he's obviously got talent. Now, can you tell me where Warwick is, John? Because that's where he comes from, Warwick. I don't know where he's from. Yeah, yeah, it's right right the border of New South Wales, uh, way uh, out way out west. <laughs> oh right, okay. Well, that's there you are. But that's all I know about. I've got enough problems of my own with two two young Brits in the race, Mark Donovan and Fred Wright, and I don't know anything about them either. <laughs> hey, uh, Will Wizard wants to know more on Harry Sweeney. He may be from Queensland, but how did he not get to World Tour and not via Bike Exchange? Now, is this a bit of a problem or common problem for? Team Bike Exchange, Jiffy, and that is any young Aussie talent, the expectation is, oh, well, they must get signed to 
Bikey's changed. But the problem is now, if if a lot of these World Tour teams are looking at data, and if they're good, they want to sign them, and they're they're going to pay you know good price for the young emerging talent from down under. Yeah, yeah, exactly right, mate. And uh, data is the new. Uh, oh yeah, buzzword, isn't it? Uh, yeah. uh, data. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The engine. Yeah. I'm glad so many... I was a cyclist, John, because I wouldn't have had any data, so I wouldn't have had any. <laughs> <laughs> but Phil, has this been like the first five days? Has this been as sort of chaotic in terms of a Tour de France start you've seen in some time? In terms of the amount of talking points and stories. Well, I must say, every year I always seem to feel the same excitement and saying this is going to be a great tour they can't all be great tours but they always turn out to be great tours and this opening week has been so much to report i mean two days ago in cavern that stage was about the most boring we've had so far but the last kilometers and the chase to bring brent van mora back in the pack 200 meters ago cav winning his 31st stage that drama the tears it's it the story evolved this has been a fabulous total report. The time trial was terrific. Uh, I don't hear the other commentators, obviously, doing the call, but that was a great race to call. Pogaccio uh, was almost the leader, and then we knew what Mathieu van der Poel had to do. In the end, I predicted, I predicted the eight-second win. Uh, Did because you? I, I likened it. I likened it to 1989 uh, with Fignon and Le Mans, when Le Mans, in the last day time trial, Turned the Tour de France around and won by eight seconds. But when I saw the overall, I thought they made a mistake. He's in the lead. He's lost the tour by. He's in the lead by eight seconds. It, it was an incredible coincidence. Um, no, I've loved yeah, this tour. Yeah. Oh, I really have. It's a long way tomorrow. It's a longer stage we've had for some years, and uh, goodness knows how we'll cope with that. Lots of coffee. Do you, do you prefer to commentate on the the time trials, or you I like you that. know? Because they're a lot easier. Like, you've got that little screen. I mean, that must make I your know. job a bit easier that you've but, got one by one. But in fairness, in the modern day, I have, I have a bigger screen and it's a time trial. Not a picture, but look at that there. Look at that picture. Look at oh, picture. yeah, nice. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you've got to have eyes in the back of your head because you're looking at the race picture, which to say is small on my left. And on the right, I've got to watch every checkpoint. And there's no noise and bings and tings when they come through. So I've got to watch the, the picture suddenly flick and there's another name at the top. So you've got to stay alive, and it makes the time go so fast. I love calling time trials. I think it's the only way to watch a time trial. It's the bloody pub in you, mate. You, you, you were <laughs> born doing that, getting up at 6 o'clock in the morning, standing on the I side know. of a bloody country road and doing a time trial. Uh, you John, blokes, are nuts. You blokes are nuts. <laughs> we are, and I agree entirely. And that was because the police would not allow a mass start cycle racing on the public roads in the post-war years. And so the, on the, all your entry forms, it said private and confidential. And that's why the course are still to this day numbered in Britain, because you had to have the code to know what the number meant. And that's how he started riding time cards, yeah. I, I still remember, I still remember uh, uh, 1970 after Roadcom Games, went down to the World Championships, which were in Leicester, and I stayed with a family. And the youngster in the family was probably about 17 or 18, was a, was a time trialer. And he asked me, would you like to come along and ride one? So I went and rode this 10-mile time trial. Uh, I think it was about 7 or 8 o'clock in the morning, standing on the, on the side of the road, so and away we went. And it was sensational. I loved it. I loved no, it. No, they're happening even to this day, right by where I live here in Hertfordshire, every Saturday afternoon, 2 o'clock, anybody that wants to pay his money, can go and ride a 10-mile time trial around the route. 
Um, that's how we all, and what, what their time trial is hated because they were brilliant in their own ground. Then you go and turn on the television and see Jacques Concatil win the Grand Prix de Nation for the ninth time. And his speed is totally ridiculous. Um, yeah, but there you are, it's, we were a different breed in those days. Um, don't forget Chris Gordon came up on time trials too. Uh, hey, people love insights to the commentary and, and what goes on behind the scenes. I had a good chat with Matt Keenan today and he said, you know, he'll do four hours of prep for each stage, you know, just to make sure that he's I across everything. That he's, and he's got a yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but then he said guys like Robbie McEwen, you know, he'll just front up, you know, just before they go live and he'd be like, man, I know what I'm talking about. Like, yeah, obviously Robbie's confident, yeah. but how do you get the information for each stage? And is there, a, can there be times where like, hey, well, there's too much going in here. Just let's simplify it. Um, you've got to be very careful. But the, the object of a commentator is to make the viewers absolutely content and understand what's going on. And I tend to, oh, every morning throughout my whole life, first hour and a half of the day, I check the world of cycling. And I put all the facts and figures into my little own um privately concocted or whatever you call it. <laughs> and then and then i got a young commentator come and sit by me said oh that's good he says can i have a copy and i say no bugger off because uh, yeah, stuff. <laughs> take me a lot of years yeah, i don't want you telling the world about them so that's, <laughs> the only wow. person i ever gave my data to was of course my late mate paul showing and he would he would just send me a, an email from uganda saying hey send us all your facts <laughs> I cracked and did every time. I said, "You're lazy." Uh, yeah, yeah you, you, you two were a, a, a special team. We were one on one. There's never been a, a, a pair like you, and I don't think there ever will be, mate. Well, thank you for saying it, John. Um, well, did you did you guys have like moles on the ground that would feed you info? Like, did you get any like juicy stuff from people that you know you'd sling them a oh, tenner yeah. if they gave you a, a breaking news? You can't imagine me slipping anybody at ten. But I, did, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I did actually. Uh, yeah, the guys always tell me, and and we always give them. When you're on the Tour de France, the, the commentators are live on air. We don't really have. We never go out and drink party together. That's impossible. But join us before we go to air. We walk amongst the commentators. Then every country you can imagine, there's sixteen or seventeen live networks all lining up, and we just talk and. We throw things around, and the French are great. They'll tell us, oh, this guy, by the way, you know, his mum had twins, but they lost the twins, but this guy came along late, and all the stories start to come out. And we yeah. make notes, and when that guy comes on camera, we've got a lovely story to tell the world. And we do the same with our riders, uh, you know, if they've been sick or training and living in Andorra or whatever, we tell them. Mm. Uh, and we gel together. But in, but in answer to your previous question, I love the time trials. But I think if you call a sprint absolutely spot on, you can make it the most exciting occasion in any country. I love calling the sprints. And I've been so lucky. I've called every one of Mark's 31 victories. Well, that's the next question. Do you think he's going to get to 32 today, mate? He's certainly got the confidence. He's loving the race. He's laughing and smiling. You saw the scenes when he kissed everybody he could get hold of after he won the stage. <laughs> 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 I think there's others in there. There's others in there, John. And sadly, with the loss of Caleb, he's lost his main contender. Um, and so, but he's got to watch out for Tim Malia. Tim Malia mm -hmm. is going to go for the win again for sure. And uh, on the same team as the yellow jersey. 
And the yellow jersey helped him win that stage the other day, even mm. though he's in the yellow jersey. He'll do the same again today, Van der Poel. Of course he will. Of course he will. But look, I, 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 I think Cavill will win today. And I think Cavill will win because his confidence is up and all of that. But also, it's a really good sprint for them. He's got the best lead-out train. There are mm. no bends or anything today. It's just a 1K of dead straight. They'll just pour it on and... Yeah. deliver him to the front. I only hope he just doesn't go a fraction too early get excited. That's how uh, Tim uh, Malia could roll him. Yeah. And Demar, Demar will be right up there as well. Look, we're going to have a wonderful sprint. We're going to have a wonderful well, stage today. Yeah. He's won there before. Um, he's won in tour as well. So he's won at both ends of the course. Well, isn't that a, that's a beautiful story, isn't it, Phil? I mean, the fact that yeah. you know, he, his win two days ago where was where he had his last win with uh, uh, the Quick Quickstep. Yeah. And today, uh, the stage down is where he had his first ever win in the Tour de France. So, yeah. hey, it's meant to I be. They're lining up. They're lining it's up. Meant, it's and meant it to be. It doesn't go unnoticed by Mark Cavendish. Um, no. No, it, no, it really no. he, he, he he watches everything and the dream continues i think i really do i, I, I had uh, one of one of our old pros i won't dob him in uh, uh, but i've been sending him our, 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 our d to a podcast and he lives over there and he he's retired now and he came back and he said ah oh, i can't watch it cab can he cuddle and hug any more people he must have been deprived in his childhood he said <laughs> <laughs> i had them a laugh Anyway, it's good. Uh, uh, we've got a couple more comments before we let you go. Phil, uh, Jim okay. Bowe says the Swing Dog was in the Mitchelton Bike Exchange under 23 team with Jai Hindley and Lucas, but wasn't signed to the pro team. Originally a triathlete here from Brizzy. Awesome ah. lad. Wow, that's nice to know because my next job is a triathlon over in uh, Slovenia, so I'll remember that. Well, there you yeah, go. No. We've got some little moles giving you info on the old detour, mate. I've no resistance to this. I'll make a note. I won't tell anybody. Have you ever had an incident where someone's fed you information, you've gone with it live only for it to be incorrect? Um, Has I John ever know. told Jonathan at a race? Uh, no, so I'm, I'm in the clear. Of course, if it sounds too strange for words, I wouldn't just say it. Uh, yeah, I used to say to Sharon, said, oh, be careful of that one. I'm not sure it's true. Let's check it out before you say it. And we've done that, certainly. It sounds a bit, yeah. too, a bit too real or a bit too strange to be true. I, I, I call them Gary facts. My, my son-in-law, Gary, uh, gives me some <laughs> special Gary facts. I said, I have to check that one, Gary. <laughs> yeah, uh, the Will Wizard said, Vanderpoel will sprint today for the time bonuses. Um, um well, no, I, I, don't I, think so. I, I don't think he's. I think he's just. He knows it's going to go away from him soon. And the rumor is, of course, when he loses his lead, he probably will retire from the tour because he's going for the mountain bikes to Italy to uh, the Olympics. Mm. And mm. we'll wait and see on that one. Nobody's saying it for sure. But he's just doing his thing at the moment. He's living a happy period of his life. He's remembering, and he didn't really. You know, we all we've all built this story about Matthew Van der Poel being the. the, the the grandson of Raymond Pudigore, but really he didn't know Raymond Pudigore very well at all until he went to his funeral. And that's when he got to really realise how famous and how the connection was there. Because it's his dad, Adley, who married Pudigore's daughter, uh, French and Dutch together, but he's always lived in the Netherlands, so he's never seen much of Raymond Pudigore. But now, just, whenever you mention his name, he just chokes because he's so <coughs> 
There were some lovely photos, though, of Poulador uh, <coughs> at World uh, Cyclocross Championships where yeah. you know, uh, they were hugging in that. So that they must have had a bit of a relationship, yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, you certainly did on that occasion. I saw that picture, yeah. And the final comment is from Lisa. She says, so cool, Phil takes the time to do this. He's a legend. So, no, yeah, there you go. He, he mixes, he mixes with us mere mortals. What else would I do uh, on my coffee break, really? Um, I've lost the coffee, funnily enough. Oh, no. Now, before you go, there's Tag again. Tandy, yeah. uh, get on the website, kareka.co.za uh, forward slash Peloton. Donate whatever you can. It's a great cause, and uh, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the detour again, Phil. As they well, said, you're a legend, mate, so we appreciate it. What's that Z-A again, was it? you got the Z-A again. <laughs> We've got American listeners as well. When you, actually, mix it up. when you would say that email address in South Africa, you would say it's www.kareka.coza. That's what they say. Ah, Coza. You're right in C-O-Z-A, but they always say Coza. Uh, we've got a Koza over here. He's probably watching, actually. That's yeah. correct. How are you, Koza? He's a good lad, too. Um, listen, but I'm going to take up the advice of that uh, uh, lady that wrote to us earlier, and I'll, I'll speak to Linda. She's in South Africa, obviously, so I'll, I'll email her. Yep. And I'm sure one of the days before this race ends... Oh, we'd love to have her on. No, no, for sure. She sure. would love to come down. And she'll remember yeah. you because you both came on and did the ride with me uh, two or three weeks ago, uh, yep. they raised money, so she she she'll jump at the chance, I'm sure. Oh, I would love to, yeah. love to speak to her. Mate. Yeah, she says, awesome. I'll be yeah, and we'll fix it because it's half past nine here, ten o'clock now in England. Well, in Africa, it's eleven o'clock, so it's perfect timing for her. Yeah, sweet. Sounds All good. Right, let's do it. She might I'll be even able to show us some backdrops of the beautiful landscape because she's out I'll on a. Bit of property, so. She will, she will. I don't know whether she's in Kareka right now, but I believe she is. But I'll make sure she gives you a quick fan around outside her window. Outside of her window on Kareka, you are looking at the wilderness of Africa. It's something special. Sensational. Well, thanks for joining us again, Phil. Good luck with the All call right, today, and we'll check in tomorrow, mate. Have a thanks, great mate. day. Cheers, mate. I think he was uh, going to tell you something when you cut him off. I think it was oh, what about- happened? Did I cut you off? <laughs> You there, yes. Phil? That's all right. No, I was just saying, I hope Michael Matthews gets closer to the green jersey. He's fourth in the competition. Uh, yeah. We may have to wait a little while yet. All right, lads, I'm yep. on my way. Good on you, mate. Care. Take it easy. Bye-bye. See Bye-bye. You, mate. Well, the screen froze as well when I dropped Phil. I thought, oh, no, here we go. Technical difficulties. <laughs> but um, Now, before oh, we go to a break, Iffy, I had a message from uh, Amy Cornell. She wants to send a shout-out to Brad Hollywood Nugent. He's had a bit of a health battle of late, uh, so we just want to say from the detour potty, we're thinking of you, mate, wishing you all the best in your recovery. So uh, get well soon. Uh, now it's back. time Now it's time to uh, have a quick word from our sponsors. Um, before we do, don't forget the best uh, comment for the week. We said it at the top of the show, $500 voucher from Let's Go Motorhomes. Sensational uh, motorhomes, the old Let's Go. And wouldn't you believe it, John? JKs. What are you <laughs> they reckon they reckon they're a bit Jerry built though. Yeah, what does that mean? Modern, Jerry, beautiful Jerry, looking. Jerry, Jerry built exactly. Yeah. yeah. I don't know you're trying to set a bear trap there, mate, but I wasn't walking into it. All right, 
is a quick word from our mates at uh, Let's Go and Bike Exchange. We all love an open road, and often they're easier to find during quieter times of the year. In a Let's Go motorhome or camper van, you can road trip in comfort and style any time of the year. When the roads are quiet, you can get where you want quicker and easier without jostling for position. Chances are your destination won't be as busy too, which means you'll enjoy your travelling adventure even more. Plus, if you book a Let's Go motorhome or camper van in the off-season, you pay less, meaning you can travel longer. There's a type of motorhome or camper van for everyone, so you won't have to compromise on what you want. The whole range has the things you need to help create the perfect road trip experience, including heating and cooling, keeping you comfortable on the road all the time. Whether there's two or six of you, there's a motorhome for everyone. And in a Let's Go Motorhome, your journey can be just as fun as the destination you want to reach. The open road is calling. Check out some of our great offers online today and start planning your next road trip. Rain, hail or shine. Look at this bike. You think it's just a bike, right? But it's not. It's a bike. 374 people are looking at. This guy, this girl, them, all looking at it. People from here, there, and wherever this is. People that are looking for a bike. Or just a piece of it. Amateurs. Semi-amateurs. And pro-amateurs. This guy wants this bike, but with this crank and these bars. This could be the perfect match, but not this one. This girl has a bike to sell, and thousands of people might purchase it. Eyes on Bikes help grow small businesses. His, hers, yours, and the latest data and insights help those businesses keep moving. We are the world's number one bike marketplace with over 500,000 products and 900 brands, where buyers and sellers are brought together in a place where a bike is never just a bike. Bike Exchange, where the world buys, sells, learns, and rides. Thanks again to our great mates at Let's Go and Bike Exchange. A couple more comments when he's super fan. Thanks, Phil, and great divides. He's on fire. Jog on, Phil. <laughs> he's getting the one wood out. Um, now, John, we caught up with a legend of Australian cycling, Phil Anderson, and you were very keen to have him on the show. I was like, yeah, sweet, but there's one condition, John. Let's keep it tight. It's the end of the show. It's Tour de France. Keep it tight. Uh, now, I've had to make some edits, Johnny, to the, <laughs> to the, to the interview. Uh, we all wanted to get some insights on that classic uh, day that he took the yellow jersey, first non-European to do so. Exactly. Yep. It's so years. this is... Day yes. five, 40 years ago. Yep. That's right. So this is 10 minutes out of the 40 minutes that we recorded. So sorry to Phil, but John will paraphrase all the things that I cut out at the end. But it's a great story, and this is the, the chat we had with Phil Anderson earlier today. Well, we're lucky to be joined by the first ever Aussie to wear the yellow jersey. We mentioned on the show last night, and if you said, we've got to get Phil on, and we want to get some stories, John, of what really happened out <laughs> on the road. Well, as per usual, you've only got half the information there, Dan, because not only was he the first Australian to wear the yellow jersey, it was the first non-European to wear the yellow jersey. So even bigger than what you said. But uh, g'day, Phil. Great to have you on board, mate. 
How's it going, Ify? Good to see you, Dan. <laughs> yeah, good to see you, mate. Yeah, you look a bloody fit. Like, we get a lot of uh, ex-former pros on here, and, you know, your brain does sometimes wander and think, shit, they've been in a good paddock. But, mate, you look like you're still at race weight. I think that's just age. I think uh, John can attest to this. You get old, I think sort of, you know, all the muscle leaves your body and, and uh, you're just left to um, uh, what makes it look like you're fit. But, uh, no, nah, I've, been, I've been riding a little bit through COVID. We've been very lucky here in the country. It's been, um, you know, country Victoria. There hasn't been too many lockdowns. So I've managed to um, uh, leave the paddock and go out riding a little bit. So doing a lot of gravel and, um, yeah, really enjoying riding. 40 years, there you are, your mate Bernie. <laughs> well, we'll get to that. Uh, 40 years, stage five, 1981. And uh, we'll go back to that. So let's firstly talk about that day. You, you, you're, uh, you're in the race. It's it's uh, only a short stage, 117k from uh, St. Gordens, I think it was, uh, up to the Plat d'Etat. Um, so just take us through that stage, and that amazing day. I'd never really ridden the mountains before. Um, you know, I'd ridden the uh, Peninsula three-day tour down here, which actually uh, <laughs> took, took in uh, Red Hill and uh, Mount Arthur's seat. And I used to train over the back but nothing was really, I didn't really know what to expect in um, <laughs> this rain of the Pyrenees. So there I was, um, you know, on the start line. Everybody was kind of nervous. I didn't really know what all the fuss was about because being the first tour, and it was a lot different than now. Like every rider that goes over there now, on the way to the start, they're watching live vision from the last time that the race went over, you know, you know, approach the finish of that state, that stage, or you know, there was a mountaintop finish. You know, the riders are very well prepared now. There wasn't that technology um, back then. Riders were all nervous, and uh, you know, I was a little anxious because well, just the energy is coming out of the rest of the guys. So we're riding along, uh, you know, like 30, 40 k's into the stage, and the pace is getting faster and faster. And we didn't have GPS units or radios, and you know, we just knew that there was, you know, the first mountain. We we're going to be coming into a, into, into a um, into the base of the first climb, which was I think it was Puri Sud or or maybe it might have been um, oh, I'm not sure which climb it was. One of the uh, foothills of the Pyrenees. I, I didn't know any of the climbs then. It may as well have been King Lake. <laughs> I wasn't familiar. <laughs> I just knew it was going to be hard and tough, and um, you know the pace was building and getting faster and faster and and uh, yell out to my teammate, where's this climb? How far to go? And, uh, you know, we didn't even have, like, um, you know, distance indicators on our bikes or odometers or speedometers or anything like that. So it's just like, oh, it feels like it's been 30Ks. could be 10Ks. could be 15 to the bottom of the climb. And, uh, you know, and I was sort of looking up the road and I couldn't see any. I didn't know. Everybody was just sprinting madly. It was like they were sprinting to the finish. Uh, you know, I was expected to see a bloody a checkered flag in front the way they were going into it, you know, race, racing at that stage. And so a teammate said, no, 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 don't look up the road. You've got to look up there. And I looked up above, like above all the riders, high up above the trees. You could see some lofty peaks. I'd never, you know, I I wasn't looking. <laughs> I wasn't looking for those sort of, um, uh, I wasn't looking for those bloody mountains <laughs> like that. But, uh, anyway, so I immediately buried my head and, and um, you know, head down, ass up and just, you know, joined the, Joined, joined everybody else in um, just riding riding like a banshee. And um, 
then we come to the penultimate climb and, uh, you know, like halfway up, uh, I, I recognise my uh, team car coming up because every back in the days before radios, every team's director was driving a car and they would have a different um, tune, musical tune to their uh, horn, like, you know, when they toot the horn oh, of the car. Like yeah, 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 exactly, yes. Yeah, I think that's where a lot of these ringtones that we have in our phones actually come from, I think. Yeah, you know, right. you'd recognise and you go, uh-oh, there's Iffy coming. <laughs> no, there's Iffy calling. <laughs> What's he want now? It'll be the but, Benny uh, Hill music for Iffy. <laughs> <laughs> He's coming up here to give me a few words of encouragement, you know, give me a drink or something, you know, because I saw other other uh, directors coming up and looking after their riders. So, uh, you know, Maurice Demur, my director from Peugeot, comes up. Goes, Phil, Phil, oh, you know, I'm all excited to see somebody. And uh, he goes, Phil, John Renee, you got, where's John Renee? You know, and I said, oh. That's right. Where is uh, where is our humble leader? Um, I thought I haven't seen him for a little bit. And he says, yeah, well, Phil, you're meant to be looking after him today. Uh, there's no problem. Uh, I don't see him in front of me because by this time there's only about 25 riders left. Um, you know, the Puzo jersey was quite iconic, um, uh, you know, sitting in the bunch. And I looked over my shoulder and, you know, still there weren't too many riders behind me. I was still, you know, struggling at the back a little. And so um, I said, no problem. You know, it's possibly just in one of these groups, you know, behind. I can ease up. I'm, you know, I'm pretty buggered anyway. I'll just uh, ease up and, and give him a hand. And he says, no, no, Phil. Um, you know, he's not having the best day. He's he's uh, two groups behind, like at four or five minutes. But you come and see me tonight because, you know, there were instructions. Oh, okay, geez, it doesn't sound good. So um, hey, He sounds like a bully. And- <laughs> he does. Patrick Lefebvre. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I don't know. You know, if, if uh, somebody comes up and says, "Come to my room tonight," <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't think you get away with that sort of thing. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. he uh, we, no, a couple of more k's over the uh, uh, the penultimate climb, and uh, then it's you know there's only one descent, and then um, and then uh, up to this uh, finish at Plateau. So. You know, crazy descent, you know, sliding around these corners, barreling into them. You know, I've never been, you know, never experienced anything like this. Uh, you know, the fans, the, the you know, the, the entourage, the noise, you know, helicopters. Just, you know, there's a lot of a lot of stuff going on for it for a young guy that hadn't had that much experience at this level. So, it was there a moment there. Was, in the end, it was just you and uh, uh, Bernie, but you know, uh, chasing uh, with Vania up the road, and a fan handed you a can of coke. So you took a, a sip and offered it to uh, to Bernie. You know, it was a bit. That's right. Petty. It was a little bit earlier down that last climb when there's a few more riders there, and I, you know, it's quite a warm day, and I'd noticed that you know riders would get a drink, take a sweet, you know, from the side of the road. And they'd pass it across the uh, across the bunch, you know. And then I was sort of on the right hand side, and um, saw somebody just crack a uh, frosty coke, and I uh, thought, "Oh, that's mine," you know. So I go and grab it, and it's just so cold. And I took it, and uh, you know, it's almost it's like coming out the top. And I look over at Hino, who you know won the tour. He didn't win the tour the year before because Zudemelt won it, but he won it two years previously. And, and uh, so we'd already run the tour twice, so I knew who he was. And uh, I turned to him, and he looked shocking. Um, you know, he had 
bloody froth of foam coming down here and snot. And I, I he looked, he doesn't look like the poster boy that I knew. And so I turned to him and offered as a gesture to, um, you know, Mr. Hino, if you'd like uh, some of my Coke or some of the Coke which I'd got. And he looked at me and, uh, and he just bloody hit that Coke out of my hand and just flung it. Uh, and you know the, the the coat just took off into the uh, into the crowd, and so that was my first one-on-one experience with uh, Bernardino. Um, but anyway, a couple of kilometres later, after all those little attacks, it was just uh, me and Mister fling the coke out of his hand. Uh, he know um, uh, left, and so he had to he had to you know he tried to, he tried to get away from me, you know, and I just sort of ride, sort of slowly but surely sort of ride up you know, in his shadow and try and come over him. But, you know, I was always riding on the right side. I remember on the climb there and, and I thought, shit, if I'm going to, you know, if I'm going to slow him down, it's a long way to take him over to the fence on the left. <laughs> so, so I just kind of sat there and we, we uh, rode up the climb uh, together and, and he kicked out of the last corner in the last couple hundred metres to beat me for the thing, you know, but I was, you know, <laughs> I was way out of my depth. But, you know, the... Um, the repercussions of, of what I did that day, um, you know, I never took it for granted or anything, you know, but I'm still I'm still living on that story, Iffy. That was uh, Phil Anderson there recounting the, the day that he took the yellow jersey and created history for Australian cycling and non-Europeans uh, at the Tour de France. And uh, Iffy, we asked him obviously a few more questions uh, and it was all about you know, the magnitude of, of what he'd achieved, he didn't really appreciate it until he retired pretty much. Yeah, exactly. So uh, you're, not, you're not playing anymore, but I can paraphrase now, can I? Yes, yes. <laughs> okay. Well, we, we did do it. The thing is, that I, I don't think people realise just how special Phil was and how important he, he was. I mean, we all know about Cadell. He won the Tour de France. He was world champion and our greatest cyclist because of those things. But Phil Anderson was – we're back in an era where there wasn't 10 English-speaking guys in the whole European peloton. And there were, you know, for an Australian to be at the top end of world cycling on the road, where there had plenty on the track, but on the road, was just unheard of. And I've got to just say, 1985, he won the Tour of the Mediterranean, which was a big race. The Dauphiné, we know how big it is, the uh, Dauphiné. Mm. The Tour de Suisse, which also won the points race and the King of the Mountains. So on the overall. Well, they give he, good prizes for Tour of Suisse. Like he would have won his weight in like salami and cheese. So that's yeah. a good one. Chocolate. That's um, a good one. Grand Prix of Frankfurt, uh, Henniger Turn, which was a major classic. Second in the Ronde, the Tour of Flanders. Second, the Tour of Belgium. Second in Genk, Wolverham. Fifth in the Tour de France. Fifth in the Amstel Gold. Seventh in Liège, Bethel Liège. This is the one year. Mm-hmm. And he got pipped by Kelly for the for the Super Prestige Perno uh, uh, trophy at the end of the year. But I, no Australian has ever had a year like that. And he had a similar year in 86. Uh, you know, Different races, you won Paris Nice and a lot of other amazing years. So, are you saying it's the greatest year by an Australian? Yes, yeah. Well, what about mm. no, I, no, I, no, I respect the Phil, but no, I'd say Cadell winning the Tour de France and he won, of course, the it, Torino you know, and that. of course, that, that was the, that were the biggest events one, but we're talking uh, over that year, no one did has won more than that for a whole year and mm. bigger races either. I mean. Okay, the Tour de France is the biggest, and 
he had a great year. I'm not trying. Cadell is our greatest road cyclist, but everyone knows that. But this year was something special, and Phil, um, yeah, and it was interesting. We also, Eddie Merck said to me, um, I, I was lucky enough to have dinner with him one time over in Milan with the, from the bike show, mm. and he said that, can't remember, what year, can't remember what year it was, it was in Spain, <coughs> world champions of the cricket on the Belgian one, and he said Phil Anderson would have won that day. And they were, mm. he was in the leading group with cricket on, and he said, I just could tell he was going the strongest, but uh, he got knocked, as they come to the feed zone at the bell lap, uh, one of the handlers knocked him down and he never mm. got back. But uh, so he could have easily been world champion as well. So he was an absolute uh, legend and he mm. rode the Bay Crits. The only race he from the day he turned professional in 1980 till he retired in 1994, the only race he ever raced in Australia was the Bay Crits. Well, I cut that question out of the interview and I thought I know. there's no way that ain't coming back in when you paraphrase. But uh, and, you know. and you know who he beat? In the, he won the state, he didn't win the overall Bay Crits. I have no but idea who he beat. Who did he beat, John? He beat in Ocean Grove, Scott McGrory. Scooter. Scooter. So well, there you go. If you're right, well, watching Scooter, you can. Uh, yeah. Kirsty says, "Hey, 20 minutes, lads, till kick off Tigers versus Suns. Wrap it up. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> Love it. Um, Love it. Uh, I got one that you can read out, John. It's from Top Gun. Those were not rhinos, Phil. They are orthopedic surgeons. How do I know? They are thick-skinned, horny, and they charge a lot. Oh, I love it. Peter Morris says, Phil's doing great things on the gravel these days and set up a route for the Dirty warning next year. And, yeah, that's pretty much it for the viewer comments. Thanks again, everyone, for tuning into The Detour. As we always say, go to youtube.com forward slash The Detour Podcast. Appreciate all your support. And we'll be back again uh, tomorrow. I think actually tomorrow, different time, guys. Phil said off air that uh, it's the longest stage of the tour, so he has to go live earlier. So we're going to go live at 5.30 p.m. Does that work for you, John, or are you going to be cutting into your bangers and mash? Um, no, the, the 5.30 should be fine. I'm, uh, I'm uh, actually going to be on SBS tomorrow night, which is going to be a bit of Ooh. fun games. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure you'll uh, get a big like reference in there, J.K. I'm Bay sure we will. I'm sure we will. Yeah, I think yeah. I'm 9.30 or something. But, um, yeah, no, so going earlier, all right. Well, I'm fine with that. Um, why wouldn't we have just taped Phil and, and whacked him in at 7.30 like normal time? Why, why wouldn't put, you have put, done that? Well, puts me just under the pump. Puts me under the pump. I want people to be able to interact with Phil. I'm all about the, the viewers, not you. And speaking of viewers, great device, great show, boys. <laughs> Jog on, all right. Thanks, mate. We'll do exactly that. Uh, see you again tomorrow at 5.30. This is the winning ride of the tour.